For those of you that have been around for a little while, you know we've been working through the book of Matthew for the last while, almost a year. And uh, last week we wrapped up chapter 7. We finished the Sermon on the Mount while we were at the park. And I really, before we jumped into chapter 8, I wanted to take a week and just kind of talk about something that's been on my heart for three or four months, actually. And just through my own studying and reading, just some stuff that God's been doing in my own heart and stuff that I hope this morning would be, I hope that it does encourage you. I hope that it does challenge us. It's a little bit heavier, I think, of a topic um, given the current kind of cultural climate that we're living in. But uh, let, me, let me pray and, uh, and then let's, let's get started. And I wanna pray this morning, if you guys don't know Pastor Paul at Candlelight, um, has COVID and he's in the ICU and he's not doing super hot. And so um, I'd like to pray for him this morning and pray for their church this morning as they're not gathering as a result of that this morning and just ask Jesus to come into that room and heal him. Jesus, we thank you. Um, we thank you that you are the divine healer. Lord, we lift up Pastor Paul to you and his wife, Brenda. We pray your healing touch upon them. God, we pray you draw near to them during this time, that you draw near to candlelight. Pray that your hand be upon that church and those people, and even through uh, seasons of uncertainty and not even knowing what tomorrow may hold, that they could be assured that you are with them, standing with them. Um, Lord, we trust you. Lord, we know that you are sovereign and you ultimately are in control. And um, Jesus, we just pray that you would use this for your purposes, God, that what the, me the enemy meant to steal, kill, and destroy that you would use to bring life and to bring life abundantly. And so we pray for our city um, just because the, the, the cultural junk in our city right now is so thick, God. And I just pray that you'd break through. Lord, we're praying for revival to happen in our city, however you foresee that happening. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in people's hearts and that we as humans in the flesh get to play a role in the story of God manifesting itself on this earth is just insane to me. And so I pray for us, Lord, that we walk in obedience as a people who are led by you, Jesus, and that your spirit would move through us in a way that you would just rock people's lives. Lord, I pray for this time that we get this morning to dig into your word and to talk to the church. And I just pray, God, that you'd bless it. And Lord, I know that you don't need my words. You just need your word. But I pray this morning that you'd... Um, be with me in my words as I communicate your word, Jesus, and your heart to your people. In your name we pray. Amen. Awesome. If you guys have your Bibles this morning, why don't you open up to Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Um, if, you got your, if you don't have Bibles, we'll have the verse on the screen here in a little bit. Um, but I'd love for you guys to follow along this morning because I'd like for you to see what the word actually says. Uh, I'm reading out of the ESV version. I don't know what version each of you have. It might be a little bit different. But I'm gonna be referencing quite a few verses this morning. And so I'd also encourage you guys, if you want to, take notes this morning. Um, but first, we're gonna look at Romans chapter 12. And I'll get there in just a second. Um, here's what's been stirring in my heart over the last few months. And I, and I want to speak to our church, and I realize that some of you this morning are, are guests, but in a way, I sort of want to speak over our church. Um, I want to remind you who you are this morning. I want to remind you who we are as Anthem CDA. 
Uh, there's many characteristics that I would hope would be evident in this church, but this morning I want to talk to you about just one. Um, a couple months ago as we were wrestling with what to do about masks and all that, I, I read a couple passages to you guys, and I talked briefly about these passages. It was real quick, like five minutes before a sermon, but these verses have been verses that I've been going back over in my head all summer long and wrestling through some of the statements that are made in these passages. And there's one particular part in these passages that's been resonating with me that I really feel, um, or I really wanted to dig into and to challenge and kind of speak over our church this morning. Uh, Sometimes with my kids, I have a 15-year-old and an almost 10-year-old. When they were really little, I'd tuck them in bed at night and we would pray over them. And sometimes I'd say things to my kids like, I want to remind them who they are. Like, Judah, you're a leader. You know, do you know what that means? You're the one that's going to go after those that nobody else will go after. You're the one that's going to stop when everybody else keeps going. And I'd remind them these things. Like, you need to lead by example. Like, be the first to take that step. Help those that are in need. And so Heather and I would make statements like that to our kids, sort of speaking these things over them and reminding them of who they are. And today, I sort of wanted to do a a similar thing with our church, because as I read through these passages, I was reminded of a trait that God wants to be evident in us, um, that I fear has actually been lost amongst us. And um, that's this, that that we are a people of honor. We're, We're a people of honor in a society that actually seems to have lost honor altogether we're actually a people of honor. We're, we're a people that will straight, stay true to who we are. Uh, we're, we're a people of honor. And the Bible actually calls us to outdo one another in showing honor. Um, anybody in here competitive? Only a handful of you. Um, some things I'm very competitive in, uh, but who doesn't like to win, right? But the Bible says that if you want to compete around something, if you want to win at something, Here's what you can go all out in. Outdo one another in honor is what it says. Like, this is an area that we as a church need to win in. Outdoing each other and showing honor. If you look at Romans chapter 12, verse 10, I'll be reading out of the ESV. Your version might be a little bit different, but he says this. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Um, Did you know this morning that we have this biblical mandate to show honor, to honor others. We have this biblical mandate, and the word honor means this. The the, the dictionary definition definition says to have a high respect or great esteem. High respect or great esteem. And the Bible is really clear that we're to honor people. A couple months ago as I stood up here and I read you guys a portion of Romans chapter 13, a passage that tells us that that we are subject to or we submit ourselves to to the governmental authorities, that, that God is the giver of authority and that those that are in places of authority were actually put there by God and that the person who rebels against authority actually rebels against God himself. And then a little further down in Romans 13, verse 7, Paul says this, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed. And it's connected to the fact that the Bible says if you owe somebody then make sure you pay them what you owe them. And then it says, honor to whom honor is owed. But the Bible actually says that we owe a debt to people of honor. And so when I approach somebody 
I show them honor. Now, some of you may say, well, okay, maybe we don't owe everybody honor. Maybe that's only some. Like the Bible says that if I owe them, I'm to honor them. But, but I think there's only certain people, maybe you think this, that there's only certain people that you owe and that I think, that we think we've defined the people that we owe honor to and that there's other people that we don't have to owe honor to. But then, just in case you're in that category and you're thinking that way this morning, you look at 2 Peter 2, verses 17, after the, this massive list and reminder in 2 Peter, again, of who we're in submission to, that God has put these authorities and people in place. And then Peter says this, he says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So I'm gonna get into honor today and I wanna sort of unpack honor a little bit. I wanna challenge us around this idea of honor and I wanna encourage and challenge our church. But I pray that this church will be a people of honor because that's who we are. We, we are a people of honor, and so I want you to understand this morning that we don't get to choose who we believe is worthy of honor. It's not for us to decide who gets it and who doesn't. The Bible makes it really clear who we're to honor, and we don't get to choose who, who we decide we, we should or shouldn't show honor to. That person that annoys you, anybody have them? You show honor to them. The, the person that you believe is the enemy, anybody have those? You show honor to them. The person that may have hurt you or offended you, you show honor to them. The person that you disagree with, you show honor to them. And the Bible says that we're to honor everyone, as it says in that passage. In fact, if there was anybody that understood the idea of showing honor to somebody that was evil, it may have been Peter or it may have been Paul. Because Peter, while writing this, probably thought, well, there, there's got to be somewhere, somebody that I don't have to honor. Like, looking for the out somewhere, because we're all looking for the loopholes in our life. But Peter goes on to say, honor all people and honor the emperor. And so, a little backstory, when Peter's writing this, which scholars would say was somewhere around 62 or 63 A.D., um, and the, the reason they say that is because Peter and Paul were more, more than likely martyred um, by the emperor Nero in 64 or 65. So it was right before they're martyred. And Peter writes this when Nero's emperor, Nero, w was the first emperor who really brought persecution to Christians like in a mad way. He was horrible, this evil man. He persecuted Christians, he blamed them for, for a fire that wiped out the city. And, and this is the first real mention where we see leadership persecuting Christians at this level. So Nero would, would put wild animal hides on Christians and set dogs on them to tear the believers apart. The, the, Nero would nail Christians to crosses. Nero would burn people alive. And these are the things that this evil man did. Nero used Christians literally as human torches and literally set them in his garden to light his garden up at night. That Nero was the emperor that Peter's talking about. And that Nero was the man that would have martyred both Paul and Peter. And sometimes I think that we think, well, I'll honor those that deserve it, and I'll honor those to whom honor is due. But the Bible says you're to honor all people. You're to honor the brotherhood. You're to honor everyone. And so maybe it's not just leadership that we're talking about, but the people that annoy you, the people that frustrate you, the people that you're irritated with, and the people that offend you, we're to honor all people. This is who we are as followers of Jesus. 
And honoring people is ultimately, as he connects it back to, the fear of God. So 1 Peter, it says this, honor all people, and then it says, fear God. And so today, I'm, I'm not even coming to like bring a rebuke to us. I've just felt in my heart that I wanted to speak over our church in this society that like seems like it's completely lost honor, that we would be set apart as a people that would honor even when the rest of society can't figure out how to do so. And so this is less about a rebuke that I'm bringing and less about correction and more about reminding you of who you are. But I have a massive concern as a pastor in this day and age because it feels like in many areas that we've lost the fear of the Lord altogether. If it's tied to honoring everyone, then we've actually lost the fear of the Lord in some areas of our life. And we seem to be careless with our words. We seem to be careless with how we interact with people and all around this issue of honor. And so I understand that with regards to like social media particularly, it sort of amplifies things. But sometimes like I get on there, I I get on television or social media or whatever it is, the newspaper, and the disrespect and the dishonor like literally freaks me out. I was, I was laying in bed one night, flipping back and forth between CNN and Fox News, trying to hear them say one good thing about somebody. And I went back and forth for like a good hour and did not hear one good thing. All I heard was finger pointing, finger pointing, dishonor after dishonor, and just cutting people down left and right. But more than what I see from CNN and Fox News What concerns me is what I see from people who profess to follow Jesus. The the disrespect from believers is scary. And sometimes I think to myself, like, have we lost the fear of the Lord in how we actually interact with people? Because we seem to dehumanize people so easily nowadays. Over my lifetime, I connected with a handful of professional athletes when I lived in California and I was running a skateboard ministry. And these were all skateboarders and snowboarders and surfers that I spent a lot of time with. And I've continued to follow them and keep tabs on them over the last 10 years of my life. And one of the things that that blows me away as I'm following these guys um, is the things that people say about them online. I'm like mortified sometimes. It was astounding to me that, that people can like dismiss people so easily, that that people can diminish people, that people can dehumanize people so easily, calling them names, like being mean. And these people weren't just rebutting a comment that they made about, they they were literally making all-out verbal attacks against these people. And I remember thinking, wow, these are literally star athletes. I can't believe the things that people are willing to say. And it's amazing to me that they were able to remove the human aspect that this is actually a person, and you expect that from the world, but you don't expect that from the church. They're a person that actually has value. And so for me, it's not an issue of do we agree or do we disagree? Like we can actually talk about issues. We can actually wrestle through things with one. We can disagree with people and we can still actually honor them. We can be concerned about what people are doing and we can still honor people. But part of my concern at some level is the dishonor that goes around with sarcasm, and then now it gets into these memes. And, um, you know, a few months ago, I know a lot of you are from California, but um, 
in the midst of kind of the pandemic when everything was going on, um, there, were the, there were these memes going around with uh, Governor Newsom that like had him painted up like Hitler and they were, there were swastikas on him and everything. And I was thinking to myself like, that's just crazy. Like we, we rush to dehumanize people. Like whether you agree or disagree with what decisions people are making is really up to you. But it doesn't mean that we have to actually dishonor and dismiss and dis- dehumanize people in the process of our disagreement with them. We may disagree with a leader, and you may disagree with even the governor, you may disagree with the president, um, but when we begin to move into a place of dishonoring, when we begin to move into a place of literally speaking negatively against somebody or speaking sarcastically about somebody, and when we as believers are not concerned and we're not grieved by what we see or the things that we hear, I think we've lost the fear of the Lord and how we actually interact with people, that those are actually children of God. Like these, he created them. They're his creation. And I know that this might feel really heavy, and I want to get into some more practical stuff in a second, But I really believe that there needs to be kind of a soberness in this. Uh, Early on in in my life in ministry, the Lord gave me this sort of revelation of sorts about generations needing to come together. And I've just always thought, like, if revival is going to break out in our land, it's going to break out because the generations come together. It's not going to be an older generation revival. It's not going to be just a bunch of young people revival. It's going to be all God's people coming together together to honor and worship the Lord. It's going to be this revival that takes place when the old sort of lay down their rights for the young and the young sort of lay down their preferences and rights um, for the old and they begin to seek Jesus together. But a couple years into pastoring, and some of you know this story, but some of you don't, a couple years into me starting our journey pastoring, we merged with a 60-year-old church and so this really young church at the time that was primarily all skateboarders and people that had come out of that that we had spent years in ministry with, um, this really young church merges with the 60-year-old church. And I begin to feel really deeply about this passage in Malachi chapter 4 where he says that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And like, wow, if revival's going to happen, that's how it's going to happen. The generations are actually going to come together and lay down their preferences And in that moment, like this is eight years ago now, nine years ago, um, when I would speak to the younger people at our church uh, about turning their hearts over to the older generation, laying down their preferences, and and I felt like as a 30-year-old pastor, I could go after the younger and just be like, stop it, you know? Lay down your preferences, like learn to love people and see the value that the older generation brings. But it was different for me as a 30-year-old to talk to an older generation because they've lived a lot more life than me. They've seen a lot more, experienced a lot more. Here I am, this young guy at 30 that really has very little experience. And yet I felt like I just couldn't really tell them what to do. Um, I, I could challenge an older generation, but I couldn't rebuke them. And so I always felt like way more comfortable, interestingly enough, like with the younger generation saying, stop it. <laughs> You know, like, get your life right with Jesus and do the right thing. Like, lay down your your preferences and whatnot and just see these people for who they are. But it was more difficult with my elders. Um, And I know that both sides have issues. 
uh, when it comes to the generations connecting, the older generation has just as much pride in things as the younger generation does. But the older I get, the more I see that I'm actually able to, like, rebuke, challenge, and honor a generation no matter how old they are, because I'm kind of in the middle of the pendulum right now in my life. Like, I'm halfway through it, and, uh, and I feel a little bit more comfortable doing that. But there was always something in me that felt like I would sit with an 80-year-old woman, woman across uh, my desk, and she would be weeping over the changes that she was seeing made in her church. And I would be sitting there weeping because of the changes that I felt like I was having to make to try to meet in the middle somewhere. And we're both weeping and realizing we have a lot more in common than we think we do because we're both losing something in order to gain this. And there's something with regards to honor that that, that, that sort of encapsulates, that in honoring somebody, you're sort of laying down even some of your preferences and your agenda to treat somebody like an actual human being, to honor them, to respect them. And I want to challenge you again, we're a people of honor, not just how we interact with leaders. This is not just me saying like, this is what you got to do with your governor and your president. I'm saying like amongst one another, we're people of honor. How we interact with one another is very important to the Lord. And we're called to honor all people. We're called to honor one another. And so it starts in and it's rooted in the fear of the Lord. And so honor means this. If you're taking notes, write this down this morning. Honor means that we see the best in other people because we see them from God's perspective. That's what honor means. Honor means we see the best in other people because we see them from God's perspective. Because here's the truth about every single individual. The creation account in Genesis chapter 1 says, they, all people, were created in whose image? Some people were created in God's image? A handful? No, all people. They were created in God's image. They were valuable. They were actually worthy enough for God to send his own son to be sacrificed upon a cross so that God could redeem that one individual. So every single person that we interact with, whether we know them or we don't know them, whether we're online or they're like arguing with them or not, whether you're at work or you're at home, these people... If you see them from God's perspective, you begin to understand they were created in the image of God and that God sees them as a very valuable person, that they are loved, that they are worthy, and so much so that he was willing to give his only son to die on the cross for that person, no matter how wrong, how evil, how far off that person is, God sent his son for them because God saw value in them because God created them. For me, I, like, I, I, I try my best to see people in God's image. Like, it is hard sometimes, isn't it? Anybody, is that easy for anybody? <laughs> it's hard. It's difficult. Sometimes you're walking around town and, and you, like, let's just say you see a homeless person or somebody that's on the streets Let's say you see somebody that's riddled with addiction, somebody that has mental illness and they're shouting obscenities and, and, and they're talking to themselves and they're wandering around. And in those moments, like you try to stop and you just try to take a second to recognize the image of God in that person because that individual is valued by the Lord. Society does not treat them like that. 
but they're valued as his creation. And it's easy for us to easily dismiss people or make a joke about that person that's kind of crazy or whatever it is. And we can often move by them without even batting an eye. But I I think we have to stop and just say, God, like they were created in your image. You love that person deeply. God, I wanna see them from your perspective with your eyes because they are worthy enough. They were created in your image. They're valuable enough for you to send your son to die on the cross for them. And so I don't want to be dismissive. I don't wanna throw a remark out about somebody. I wanna approach everyone with honor by seeing the best in them because I see them from God's perspective and I see that they were created in his image. And this is one of the reasons why we have to be vigilant. Vigilant. We, we have to stand up around the issues that are going on around us today, whether that's racism, whether that's sexism. Um, these things are rampant in our day and age. And, and we end up just diminishing and dismissing people who were created in the image of God. And when you think about these issues, what are they an attack of? They're actually an attack on the image of God, how God created them. And so when we dehumanize somebody or we dishonor somebody simply because maybe their skin is a different color or simply because of their socioeconomic status or simply because of their gender, whatever it is, it's usually an attack on the image of God itself. God created us in his image. And so when, we, when people would dishonor somebody else because of the color of their skin, there has to be somebody who says, listen, like that's not who we are. As the church, it's not who we are. We're gonna actually approach people with honor. We're gonna approach people by seeing the best in them because we see them from God's perspective because we see God's image in them. And so we look for the best in people. I try to tell my kids this all the time because it's easy to jump on the bandwagon when all the other kids are saying something about the other kid. And you sort of jump on the bandwagon, begin to say what everybody else is saying and see what everybody else is seeing. And at some point, somebody stops and says, no, that's not true about that person. That person was created like you and I in the image of God, by God, for his glory. Jesus was sent to the cross for that person every bit as much for them as he was sent for me. Uh, years ago, I had had this pastor in, in town that actually said some things about me that were troubling and really hurt my feelings. And he, he was making these accusations that Chris Laurie is like an emergent pastor. And if you remember 10 to 20 years ago, there was this whole movement in the church called the Emergent Church. And it was this movement that sort of disregarded scripture in order to just make everything culturally relevant. And when I heard this, like, it just hurt my feelings. So I'm like, I literally just teach from the Bible. <laughs> like, I, I'm not trying to be anything other than, like, a guy who follows Jesus and wants people to understand his word. And I remember hearing this and my heart sinking and feeling super bummed out. And so I go to this guy. Um, it, what hurt most was not that it was just coming from somebody, but another pastor. And so I confronted him and I asked him, like, how in the world did you arrive where you're at? Like, how did you make this judgment about me? You don't really even know me. 
And at the end of the day, it wasn't because of anything taught from the pulpit. It was because our church had a bunch of young people in it, and it seemed intimidating to this pastor, and he began to make an assumption about me. There's something that you're doing to gather younger people that's not teaching truth. And it hurt my feelings. And I've been in church long enough to watch different movements and different denominations to be around them, to watch the denominations throw stones at one another because one's right and one is wrong. And the older I get, the more frustrated I become with the fact that even in the church today, we are so divided. We're so divided. Yet yet we're the ones preaching this message of unity to everybody else, yet staying divided from within. And it just doesn't make sense. I can't reconcile this. And one of the statements that was made to me a few months ago, um, a, a guy had said, but unity is not uniformity. And I thought, that's really good. In order to be unified, we don't actually have to look the same, act the same, talk the same, believe even all the same intricacies in our theology. We can be in unity and not all look the same. And it changed my outlook on the way that I've began to look, look at churches, even through, throughout the last few months as I watched churches seemingly become more divided. I'm sort of content with the fact that the, the big C church is like this massive building, and within this building there's all these classrooms and there's different flavors and different kinds, and everybody kind of has their own flavor that they can go find that's a denomination or whatever, but at the end of the day, we're all going to the same place together, and we all stand upon Jesus Christ as the Son of God who died on our behalf for our sins and rose again to grant us new life. We believe that together. And the things that are dividing us are not those things. The things that are dividing us are all the tertiary arguments that we can have around that discussion. And I've began to come to a place where I just like, I want to celebrate the fact that there are dozens of churches in this community with different flavors and different styles that are still reaching people for Jesus. And they're not wrong because I'm right and I'm not right because they're wrong. Like we are all in this together pulling in the same way. What does it look like for us to begin to honor one another instead of cut each other down because the world is doing enough cutting down of believers as is. We don't need the church to do it as well. And everybody deserves to be viewed with respect and dignity and value. Um, Those that annoy us those that we disagree with, even those who look different than us. If you, if you look at the, the life of Jesus, Jesus never dismissed anyone. Like every person that Jesus approached, he approached with respect and dignity and value. Um, the lepers, like the outcast of society, the, the ones that had to walk around through society yelling unclean so that everybody could leave and not being around them. When Jesus interacted with them, he interacted them and he treated them with dignity and respect and value. The paralytics, Jesus treated with dignity and respect and value. The beggars, the Samaritans, the women, the prostitutes, the children, the sinners, all of these people whose society had some, somehow given permission to dishonor and to uh, diminish and to dismiss, Jesus didn't do any of that. Jesus approached them with value and dignity and respect. And as, the, as, as followers of Jesus, this is what we're called to do. In all of our interactions with people, we're called to live from a place of honor. And here's what I would tell you. We honor because we're honorable. He sees value in us. I don't deserve that. I don't know about you. I do not deserve that. 
His grace abounds in my life. And because of the honor that he's given me, I choose to show that honor to others as an extension of his work through Chris's heart into somebody else. It's not because I'm good, because if it was all about me, it'd be, I don't like that person. I don't want to hang out with them. I don't want to treat them nice. They said some really bad things about me. They hurt my feelings. Go down the list. They hurt me, blah, 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 blah. So I have every right to disregard them and dismiss them and walk away from them and not have a relationship with them. And God would say, get over yourself. Did I not show you honor when you didn't deserve it? Go and honor others, everyone. And that's what we're called to do in all of our interactions with people. And it's really important to understand that when I remind you today that we're a church of honor, that we're a people of honor, therefore we honor because we're honorable. What I mean by this is this, that our character is not dependent on and does not change because of what somebody else does. It doesn't. This is who God is. I, I, I mean, how many of you are grateful that God's character doesn't change because of what you do? Anybody? Can we all agree that we're glad that God doesn't change what he's doing simply because of what I'm doing? Like, I'm so thankful for that. I mean, 2 Timothy 2.13 says, if we are faithless or if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. And this is why, because it goes on to say in the next verse after that, for he cannot deny himself. For he cannot deny who he is. He's faithful. So God says, listen, even though you're unfaithful, my faithfulness is not connected to your unfaithfulness. He's faithful whether you're faithful or not, because that's just who God is. That's the God we serve that's faithful regardless. So even when I'm in situations where there's dishonor happening, even when I'm in situations where there's disrespect happening with somebody, where, where there's diminishing or, or disregarding somebody, whatever the situation is, whenever I'm in that situation, I remain honorable because I'm a person of honor, because of what God has done in me. Therefore, what people do doesn't determine whether I'm honorable or not. You can be dishonoring to me, and I'll still remain honoring, <laughs> because it's who I am in Christ, and it's who you are. And sometimes we get caught into that cycle of thinking, well, they were dishonorable to me, and if we give ourselves permission to be dishonorable in our speech to one another, in our interactions with one another, in our connections with people, we give ourselves permission to be dishonorable because they were dishonorable to us. But let me tell you this, we're a people of honor. That it has nothing to do with what society does or what people do or comments that are made. We are an honorable people because of what God has done in us and through us and for us. That means that everybody I approach, I'm actually gonna see in the image of God. I'm gonna see them the way that God sees them. I'm gonna see the best in them. I'm gonna understand that the Bible actually says I owe them, that I'm in debt to them to make sure that I give them respect and I make sure that I give them honor and that I value them. And this has to challenge you. It has to, especially in the current kind of culture, the, the, the soil of our culture right now. Luke 6, 34, it says this, and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. 
This means this. It, it means that I don't just give somebody honor because I know that they'll give honor back. That even when I'm going to dishonor back, I'm still going to give honor. When I'm going to get dishonor, I'm still going to give honor back. And Jesus says, listen, even if sinners lend to somebody who, who they know they're going to receive back from, but, but as followers of Jesus, we lend and give even when we're not certain that, of what we're going to get back in return because that's just who we are. One of my pet peeves in life is when somebody won't do the right thing until somebody else does something, right? Like they, they, they need somebody else to do it before they'll actually do what's right, so maybe you're at odds with somebody, you're in conflict with somebody, and you think, you know what, I'll go apologize to them when they do what? When they apologize to me. I'll go talk to them when they come talk to me. I'll clean up my mess when they clean up their mess. And that language is so frustrating because as we've been studying in Matthew, you're the salt of the earth. You're the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And the minute that I decide to, to, to not do the right thing until somebody else does something, I'm no longer salty and I'm no longer a leader. I'm no longer the light. I've actually become the follower of everybody else. And if I'm waiting for someone else to come apologize before I go apologize, I'm now not a leader, I'm a follower. And I just want to challenge you on this thing. We don't wait for somebody to honor us before we give them honor. We don't have to wait for somebody to do anything before we do what we know is right, what the Lord is asking us to do. So even though people haven't been honorable to us, we still are going to honor them. Even though somebody else may, be, may have been talking behind your back, even though somebody may have been spreading rumors about you, even though somebody may have been saying things that were wrong you won't go talk behind their back. You won't bring them up in conversations. You won't speak negatively about them because you're a person of honor and what they do doesn't determine what you do. We're gonna be an honorable people. Even in the midst of a society where dishonor is rampant. It's rampant. I look at the political and back and forth happening in the church and making fun of people on each side, and I think to myself, like, I expect that from the world. I don't expect that from followers of Jesus. It's not who we are. And so I want us to understand that we stand separate from how the world interacts, even in the midst of disagreements, even in the midst of somebody hurting you, even in the midst of somebody doing something that's unrighteous, even in the midst of somebody doing something that concerns you, we still come with honor, we still come with humility. And I know that today is maybe a little bit more of a serious word for us as a church, a little bit more of a heavier word, but this is how I sense I'm being asked to challenge you this morning, that the church are leaders. You're the tastemakers in our city. You set the tone. You lead by example. You're the salt and you're the light. And I think that God is asking you to lead in this moment. Not to be a follower, but to lead. Like we're called to win this war in the heavens in prayer. And we're called to lead in honor. Like to step ahead of the world. And there should be sort of a soberness in our heart that as we lead and as we interact, it's not just about interacting in society. It's not just about what the government's doing or what the government's not doing. It's about how we interact with people. We should be the most honorable people online. 
to be honest with you. Championing every person as though they're a valuable son or daughter of God. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should have a reputation that you don't speak negatively about people, that you're not sarcastic in a cutting way about someone, that you're not flippant, that we aren't posting memes that are demeaning of other people and those that God has put in authority in some odd way over us and asked us to submit to them. Even if they annoy you, even if you're in disagreement with them, Anthem, we're going to be a church of honor, a people that will not follow suit with what the world is doing and what the world is saying. So we're, we're going to interact and we're going to go after seeing our society transformed by Jesus. And we're going to go after all these relationships and we're going to do it in an honorable way. And this is what I would challenge you to do. I want you to take some time this week. And I want you to acknowledge that this whole idea of honor actually starts in your heart. There's this passage in Isaiah where it says uh, something to the effect of, these people honor me with their, with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And as we've worked our way through Matthew, there's even this idea that it all starts in the heart, that God actually cares about the intentions and the motivations that drive you more than he does the things that you do. And so this whole idea of honoring, if you want to honor somebody, I would ask you this week to take some time and acknowledge where your heart is at. Not just do you say encouraging things to people and treat them with respect verbally, but what's your heart say about that person? What are you thinking about them? And deal with those deep issues in your heart because what happens if it's not dealt with in your heart, it comes out in your speech and then it eventually manifests itself in your actions and eventually you're to a place that you never intended to go all because you didn't deal with the heart to begin with. And ask God this week if there are places in your heart where you've been dishonoring, where you've contributed to this. Maybe some of your talk has been dishonoring. Maybe some of your actions have been dishonoring. Maybe you've been dishonoring to your wife or your husband. Maybe you've been dishonoring to your kids. Maybe you've been dishonoring to your boss. Maybe you've been dishonoring to that person you don't even know that annoys you. Maybe you've been dishonoring online. Maybe You've been dishonoring with your friendships, maybe even within our own church, and wherever it may be, maybe you can stop long enough this week and say, God, there's dishonor in my heart, and I want to call it what it is. Would you come and show me from your perspective that person and how they were created in your image? Show me how you made them. Give me your heart for them. And we have to stop giving ourselves permission to dishonor in some categories of people and honor in others. The Bible doesn't have categories that say you can be dishonorable to these and not to these. It says to honor everyone. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. Um, would you guys stand with me? One of the things I was thinking about this week was the fact that The reason I can honor somebody that I disagree with or that is maybe even in a place of authority who I disagree with is because at the end of the day, I know that it's not flesh and blood that I'm wrestling with. And some of you have bought the lie 
you got sucked into the trap of these worthless disagreements and confusion and the belief that somebody is actually the enemy and the enemy is the enemy. And the word says that our battle is not of flesh and blood, but of powers and principalities of darkness. That the enemy prowls around us like a roaring lion waiting to steal, kill, and destroy. If you don't think that he's having his way right now, wreaking havoc in the most well-intentioned of people's hearts, then I challenge you to think twice this morning. This morning, my prayer for you has been that we walk out of this place realizing that you have value that you have worth, that the creator of the universe, the God who sent his only son to die on the cross for our sin, saw you from the beginning of time, saw value in you and created you anyway, despite knowing everything that you would participate in, do and say on this earth, he still sent his son for you. That should get you pretty excited this morning. There's a ton of hope. And I refuse to get lost in a world that's telling us to become hopeless. In a world that's telling us that everything's going to hell in a handbasket. And I challenge you this morning that the soil that God is working in right now, though it looks very unfamiliar and though there's a lot of uncertainty in it, it's the most prime soil for the gospel of Jesus that's ever been cultivated in the history of this planet. Because it's paving the way for his return. And in that, we know the battle that we're fighting is against an enemy that wants everything but salvation to come to all mankind and the return of the Lord Jesus for us to be taken to our eternal home with him. People aren't the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. Let me pray for you. Father, we come before you this morning and we just ask that you would give us the grace to lead in these times. I pray, God, that there would be honor in our homes, that there would be honor in our church, that there would be honor as we go, that, that, that we would be a people of honor in our society, in our city, and in the midst of this dishonoring society, that we would stand true. I pray, God, that we would hold the line that we're a people of honor and that we're gonna actually approach people because we see the image of God in them and that they are worthy enough for you to send your son. And so, Lord, I just pray that you come and you deal with whatever areas of dishonor that exist in our hearts. I pray that you come and cleanse us and you forgive us for those thoughts, for those actions, for those words. And I pray, Jesus, that you would reveal your perspective to us. Give us your heart for your people, God. I pray as we leave here, Lord, that it'd sort of be like the blinders be taken off of our eyes and our hearts as we begin to see people differently. We see them the way that you see them, God. Though the world would see them for their external value, you see them for their internal value. And I pray that our eyes could be like glasses that would see through the external value or lack thereof of a person to see straight to the heart of a person and know what matters most as they come to the saving grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Protect our hearts and protect our mouths and protect our eyes. May we be a people that would speak life over others, that would honor people even when they've been very dismissive and dishonoring to us. 
that we would rise up, that we would be the salt of the earth, that city on a hill that cannot be hidden, that we would be countercultural and go against the grain and walk as you lead us, Jesus, being the tastemakers of the world that you've placed us in, to lead by example in humility and in honor. Jesus, in your name we pray.